We are wrapping up our series today called What If? And I really enjoyed this. And I've had a few people tell me they really enjoyed it as well. We've talked about some questions or some things to think about that really hopefully challenge you. And so I kind of hate to see it come to an end. But what I wanted to think about today, I was thinking about failure. I was thinking about failure. And I have failed a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes and done a lot of dumb things. And thankfully, you know, since I'm a preacher, I get to tell people about them. And they kind of laugh at me and that kind of good thing. And it proves a point. And so I was trying to think of, let me narrow it down. I wanted to talk about failure to get started today because you'll see in just a second. But, and I'm like, there's just too many stories to choose from. But I was like, okay, it's Valentine's Day, so I'll do one of my, my, my love failures. All right, so uh, some of you have heard this, so just bear with me if you've heard it before. But uh, back in high school, there was this girl that was one of my first few girlfriends that I ever had. And uh, this girl that I liked, we rode on the bus together. We, first, we were sitting a couple of seats apart, and then we were like, you know, you want to sit by me? Okay, cool, cool. And so we sat there, we like really said, looked at each other. And uh, then we decided we were, we were going out, but we weren't going nowhere but to the school and getting off at our house on the bus. But that's it. But we were going out, right? We're going together. I can't remember what we call it at that point. But she was a really good athlete, like really good, like record-breaking athlete. And uh, all of a sudden, some of the guys, I had a bus full of like rednecks, they started making fun of me because she was very athletic. And so they were just like, oh, you know, you know she's, she's you know, more of a man than you are. So I was like, shut up. <laughs> and, uh, and so instead of standing up and just saying, I don't care what you think, I like her, I let peer pressure get to me. And so after we started going together that one particular day, you know, we go home, she gets off at her stop at her house, and I get off at my stop. And then, man, they really jumped on me then after we were officially going together. And so the very next day, we get there, and I'm riding beside her in the bus on the way to school. And I'm, you know, we're, I'm talking. It's awkward because I know what I'm about to do. At the break time at like 10, 15, in between classes, I went up to her in her locker the day after we started going out. And I said, I just want to let you know, I think we're growing apart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the worst a day, one day, 24 hours. I think we're growing apart. I thought she was going to beat my tail. She was like, good. She's strong. But uh, we've seen each other. She probably don't even remember that we dated. But, you know, we, you know, we've seen each other over the past few years. And it's, you know, cool. She's got a, a great family now. And I, you know, I've got an amazing family. But that was a big failure for me. And so maybe that's why, you know, I don't believe in karma, but I do believe the Bible says you reap what you sow. So maybe that's why Sherry got me on my birthday many years later. But it all worked out. Too. It um, but I have had a lot of failures in my life. And when you think about it, we probably all have some stories we could tell, you know, big and small. But sometimes it's scary because you're afraid to try things because you're afraid, what if I fail? What if I fail? What, am I, what if I make a mistake? The fear of failure can paralyze you, can it? You know, sometimes in certain areas of your life, maybe especially if you've messed up before, you can be afraid to try because what if I mess up yet one more time? And maybe this year, as we've been talking about the early part of the year, about making sure that we try to be different. What if? All these questions we've answered. Maybe even thinking, I want to live a life that's all in. But maybe you're thinking, but I've said that before. And I've messed up so many times. So what do you do? What do you do? Do you just give up? Do you just not try? Maybe you've been thinking, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be ready to help others do the same. But then the question creeps in your brain in the back of your head, sort of tapping on the back of your skull. But what if? 
What if I screw up? What if I mess up again? So why even try? Brennan, uh, Brennan Manning famously said, as it was recorded, if you like old contemporary Christian music, uh, a group called DC Talk, they had on one of their songs called What If I Stumble, his quote played, and here's what it says. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And it's such a true statement is that so many people doubt Jesus and his goodness and his love because Christians who claim to love him but then to completely deny him by the way that they live. And so it feels overwhelming sometimes to think about even trying to live your life for Jesus, to be all in, to be sold out for the gospel because you're like, what if I mess up? What if I struggle? What if I stumble? What if I struggle? What if I fall down? What if I screw it all up again? I don't know if you've seen, um, I don't know how long it's been out, but I just heard about it this week. But uh, Robbie Zacharias, who was a, a, a Christian apologist who spent most of his time and energy while he was alive uh, explaining why the Christian faith was a good thing to be a part of. And he used logic and reason. He helped a lot of people. Well, he passed away not too long ago from cancer. And one of the things that's interesting uh, or, or sad, I should say, is that now supposedly allegations have come to light that he was not always who he said he was. And it's heartbreaking. But you know what? He's a person, so that's to be expected. I'm not saying that what he did or may have done or anything is, is not, uh, that it's not wrong because it was if he did it, if he was guilty. But we shouldn't be surprised that people will fall and people will stumble because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so more than ever, you and I need to remind ourselves that we don't put our faith in people. We put our faith in God who does not change. But what we have to understand is that truth is that we will stumble. We will fall. We will let people down. But we cannot just sit back and quit. All of us stumble. And all of us, all of us struggle. But when it becomes hypocritical, it's when we decide to hide it. That's when it becomes hypocritical. That's when it becomes hypocritical, when we decide to hide it. Hiding sin often comes from guilt and shame. It starts off a lot of times with a, a good intention. You know, we, we sin, we, we commit the sin, we fall into temptation, and we, we feel horrible about it. We feel horrible about it. We beat ourselves up about it. And so we're like, man, I don't want anybody to know because I don't want anybody to think less of me and I don't want to cause anybody else to mess up. And so what do we do? We keep it a secret. We keep it a secret and we pray that nobody finds out. And then you feel bad and you, you hate to disappoint others, but quickly it can become a mask. It can become a mask and it can become a false identity if you don't repent of it. And that's where it becomes deadly. That's where it becomes dangerous. And here's how the Apostle Paul explains the difference that we see in, uh, in Scripture and how to get to respond when we get caught in our sin. Second Corinthians, beginning in chapter seven, looking at verse 10, starts there. It says, as it is, I rejoice. Actually, I believe that's a little bit before, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, forgive me. I've got two verse 10s there, but it should be nine. I made that mistake. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you have suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance 
that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul writes here to these Christians in Corinth and he's saying, look, there's, there's basically two types of guilt. There's two types of, of sorrow and we have godly sorrow and worldly sorrow that our guilt produces. The question is, which one will you allow to take control of your life? You know, I use the example all the time that worldly sorrow, a good example is you're speeding, you know you're speeding, you know you're breaking the law, but you feel bad when the blue lights slip on, right? It's like, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> you know? And, you know, I, I didn't mean to, you know, yeah, right, you did, you know, but that is worldly sorrow because we got caught, so therefore we feel bad. But godly sorrow is when either we find we feel guilty in of itself or we get caught and it leads us to repent and change our lives to give our lives back to Jesus completely and fully. And he talked about it says that earnestness that it made in them, that it produced in them, the eagerness to clear yourselves, to make it right, the indignation. Ultimately, godly sorrow can sort of be summed up like this. You realize you just haven't hurt yourself by your sin. You just haven't hurt your, your family or friends or loved ones by your sin. But you've also hurt the eternal almighty God by your sin. And that's when the, the switch will flip. That's when the change will really take place. Is that you offended almighty God and there's something that you need to do to give yourself back to him. So once we experience godly grief or sorrow, that's when things truly change. That's when things change for the better. So here's where we start. There's three truths, or there's some truths that we want to accept before we really get into it. The first one is this. You will stumble. You will stumble. You will fall. You will make mistakes, and you will mess yourself up, and you'll make a mess of your life, and you will do it. It doesn't matter if you give everything to Jesus. You're like as sincere as you can be when you, when you come to Christ. But there will be times, many times, that you will stumble. And I believe if you can accept that, that will help you to understand that it's not all over. And here's another thing. You will be hypocritical. You will be hypocritical. Now, that might set off red flags in you because we know that hypocrite is a bad word. But there's a difference in what I'm saying and what I want you to understand. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You will be hypocritical. You will do hypocritical things. You will say one thing and you will do another. But you don't have to be a hypocrite. Somebody who hides it and covers it up and tries to act like what you're doing is not real and it's not there. And here's another truth I want you to know. You can get back up again. And again. And again. And if we have room, I'd say again. And again. And again. And again. We will fall. We will stumble. We will be hypocritical at times. We don't need to go down the path of becoming a hypocrite. But we can get up again when we stumble and when we fall. And we can get up again. Satan wants you to believe that it's sort of one and done. You know, if, he, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you give your life to him. You, you know, he's, he's mad about that. 
But then what he wants you to think is once you become a Christian, once your sins are forgiven, he wants you to think, well, it was just forgiveness for everything you did in the past. And the first thing you do wrong once you become a Christian, you know, a lot of us, it's almost like we come up out of the waters of baptism and it's like, where was sin? It's almost that bad sometimes. And then he wants you to think there's no way that God can forgive you. There's no way. But that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Is that God's grace is bigger than your sin. If you try to say that your sin is bigger than God's strength and God's grace and God's power, then you are saying that I am stronger than God. And God is almighty and God is powerful. You cannot do more than he can forgive. How dare you be so presumptuous to think that you have that much power, my friend. You don't have that much power. So then the question that we ask or the questions that we ask is what do I do when I stumble? It's not so much what if I stumble, it's what do I do when I stumble? The first truth I want you to store away is this. Get up quickly. Get up quickly. Don't wallow in it. You know, sometimes you feel horrible right to begin with, and so it's easy to get up quickly. But sometimes, because let's be real, part of sin, there's a little bit of good to it, right? There's a little bit of pleasure. There's a little bit of relief. Maybe, maybe telling a lie gets you out of trouble, gets you out of a bind for a moment. And so there's a little bit of good in it. If it didn't feel good, nobody would do it. I, I say all the time, if sin was like going and sticking your hand in a bear trap, nobody would ever do that more than once. Well, that's a special kind of dumb if you do. <laughs> but what it's more, it's more like a, a fish hook. You know, a fish will bite a hook because why? There's bait on it and it tastes good it, it, it smells good they want it but there's always a hook in there and it always causes pain and always ultimately will bring death if you don't get off that hook and you don't get that hook out of you so get up don't wallow in your sin once you realize what you've done and sometimes you go along knowing what you're doing but either way get up as soon as you come to your senses and get out of that pit Martin Luther famously said in regards to temptation, not necessarily the sin itself, but the temptation, he said, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest there. You know? And that's where sin starts is with temptation, right? We're tempted, and what we do is that, that idea will come into our brains, and we decide instead of shooing it away like that bird that lands on our head, we let it sit there. And we let it sit there, we let it sit there, and it builds a nest, and it makes its home, and then before we realize it, we're committing the sin that we were being tempted by. Sometimes it happens a lot quicker, but regardless, that's the process, no matter how slow or how fast it is. So get up quickly and confess to God. Confess to God, say, God, I am messed up, and I have done wrong, forgive me, and he wants to, and he will, and he does. But you need to say it. You need to say it to him. You need to say, God, forgive me. Confess what your sin is, your brokenness that you have. And then I believe you also should confess to a stronger brother or sister in Christ. You know, somebody, whether it be a, a friend or a spouse or, or somebody that is stronger. And here's why I say stronger. Because, and I'll use alcohol, for example, because that was a big struggle of mine years ago. Is that if I had a relapse of really getting uh, deep in the, that pit of alcohol, I, you know, I might go confess, but if I confess to somebody that has the same struggle, there's a good chance you might say, well, let's go drink over that and talk about it, you know? 
And it, I mean, that's simplifying it, but that's really what happens. So it needs to be somebody who is stronger in that area than you. So you don't soon encourage them to get pulled back into it and you don't get pulled back into it. So you find somebody who's stronger in the faith, at least at the moment that you are and confess to them so they can help you and they can pray for you. That doesn't necessarily make you any more forgiven, but it gives you some accountability. And that's what we want to talk about next. So the first thing is get up quickly. When you stumble, not if, but when you stumble. The second thing is this, set yourself up for success. Set yourself up for success. Most of us in our lives set ourselves up for failure, don't we? You know, especially with our struggles, the big struggles that we have, the sins that really get us every time. We, you know, I had a friend who was near and dear to me. And he got, had a severe addiction to drugs. And he would get clean and he would stay clean for a year and he would be involved in ministry. He would start ministries. He would help people get off of the same drugs that he struggled with. But you know one thing he would never do? He would never, ever give up his supplier. Never would do it. He would do everything but, but he would never give up a supplier. And so you know what would happen in a year or in two years or in three years? He'd go right back to that and he ended up passing away in prison. He ended up passing away in prison. And, and I say that because that's the way we do. We, we, we set ourselves up for failure sometimes. We've got to get that stuff out. We've got to get it out in the open. And we've got to put it out before God Almighty and before our brothers and sisters that can help us. Don't go to the same places where you know you stumbled. And, and the bad thing is, is now more than ever with sins like... You know, lust and, and things like that with, with pornography, it's piped right into our house. It's in our very pockets. And so you got to be really careful about where you go, whether it be mentally or physically. But don't go to the same old places. And oftentimes we set ourselves up for failure because we try on our own. We think, I'm going to keep this secret and I'm going to beat this by myself. I don't need to drag anybody into it. I don't want to hurt them. We use all these different reasons and excuses, but don't try to do it on your own. And then we blame other people sometimes. We say, well, if it wasn't for him or her, if they tempted me, I wouldn't have done it. But it's not ultimately them. Yes, they have a hand in it, and, and God's going to deal with that kind of thing one day. But you and I have to answer for ourselves. And we, if we want to move and grow from our sins and our struggles, we've got to stop blaming others. And then you can't keep secrets either. You can't keep secrets. You have to get it out in the open. Let the light shine in on what you're struggling on. To go a little bit deeper on the whole don't blame others thing, I think of what James chapter 1 talks about. And it says that we're dragged away and enticed because of our own evil desires. You know, yes, Satan's involved and he wants to see us fall. He wants to see us crumble. He wants to see us die. But we are enticed by our own evil desires. And we cannot just blame others. We have to own up for our part in it if we're ever going to defeat the temptations and sins in our lives. And I got three quick ABCs for you to help you do this. To move up for this and set yourself up for success. A is accountability. B is boundaries. And C is crowd. You need accountability. We've said that already several times. 
You need to be accountable to someone else, somebody with skin on, so to speak, who's going to hold you, hold your feet to the fire, and they're going to ask you the tough questions, and they're going to pray for you, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to lift you up, and they're going to be beside you when you struggle. And then the boundaries you need to set, or you need to make sure you don't go to the places you know you're going to stumble and fall. Don't go to the same old places anymore. Don't spend time around the same people who are going to lead you down that path. You'll have a time maybe when you can help pull them out of the pit. But right then when it's fresh is not the time. So you need to set up boundaries for yourself to make sure that you don't, you know, anybody ever driven in the mountains? You know, been on one of those really winding roads? And, and sometimes, which do you feel better at? When there's a guardrail or when there's not a guardrail? That guardrail is nice, isn't it? When you look at it, you see the side of that cliff. Yeah. You're like, ooh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus be offensive. They ain't going to put one up themselves. You, know? you got a guardrail. You need that in your life. You need to keep yourself on the right track and set up boundaries. But then the crowd is something to remember. What is the crowd of the people around you? What are they leading you to? Are they encouraging you to be more like Christ? Or are they encouraging you to be less like Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character or ruins good morals. But fellowship with the church heals. Fellowship with the church heals. The wrong people can lead you down the wrong path, but the right people can help bring you back and heal your heart and your mind and your soul when you stumble and when you fall. Well, the next thing you need to do when you stumble is this. Check your direction. Check your direction. You know, you need to do this before you stumble, but definitely when you stumble. Which way is my mind and my heart facing? Which way am I looking? And this is something you have to do continually. Because all it takes is for just a few moments for you to get off course. And before you realize it, you don't even realize you're heading in the wrong direction, but you've gotten way off of the track. I'm not much of a farmer, but my dad always did a garden growing up, and he had this old international farm-all tractor, and, uh, and we didn't plow long rows, but I've seen other farmers plow, plow these rows. And before you had GPS and tractors and all that sort of stuff, what a farmer would do with his tractor, or maybe even farther back with his you know, horses and mules, or what it was pulling the plow, is he would find a fixed point in the distance, and he would look at that as he made his rows so they would stay straight. Now, what happens if you're spending a lot of time looking behind? It's going to be off. You know, if you're always looking behind, like Paul said, forget what's behind and strain towards what is ahead. Fix your eyes in the distance. And I'll go ahead and fill in the blanks for you. The answer is Jesus, right? The answer is Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, that's the, that's the overall spiritual principle. But how you do that is you... Find people to, that are following Jesus and imitating Jesus. You fix your eyes on them. And you fix your eyes on God's word. You fix your eyes on serving other people. You fix your eyes on Jesus. And that helps you plow the rows straight. So you don't get off course. And you check your direction continually. And the next thing and kind of the last thing you do is this. Remember that your mistakes don't define you. How you respond to them does. Your mistakes don't define you. But you know what? The enemy, the deceiver, the accuser is whispering in your ear all the time. He says, you are your sins. You are what you've done wrong. You are your, your horrible, you're, you are your worst day. That's what Satan wants you to say. Wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that you are your worst day. 
your biggest mistake. That is you. That defines you. And that is a lie. If you need to hear it again, it's a lie. Your mistakes don't define you. Your sins don't define you if you have the blood of Jesus in your life. It has to be based on that. It has to be based on the blood of Jesus covering you and those sins are washed away when you meet him at baptism because of your faith in him and you're willing to leave that life of sin behind and confess him as Lord. He makes you clean. He makes you whole. Remember that your mistakes don't define you, but how you respond to them does. When you stumble and you fall, do you get up quickly? Do you run to Jesus? Do you, do you check your, your direction continually and turn your heart back to him? I don't know who needs to hear it today, but God loves you. God loves you. God forgives you. Do something for just a second. I want you to pause. If I wake up, let's fall asleep. <laughs> this, this is kind of zoned out, maybe. God forgives you in Christ Jesus. That truth is for you if you are a Christian, or if you're not, it can be for you today. Yes, sir. But it's not for your neighbor. It's not for the person sitting behind you. It's not the person to your left or your right. It's not for some people who are really good and got it all together. That is for you if you have Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. God forgives you. And I say that, I hammer on that. Some of you don't understand that, but some of you right now are like, no, it still can't be me. It can't be for me, but it is for you. The forgiveness of God is for you in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of God could be and can be applied to Adolf Hitler if he would have surrendered to the gospel. It's mind-blowing as that is to me, and as much as that does not seem right or fair, I didn't deserve it either. I didn't deserve it either. And the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cover over every sin, and so God loves you and he forgives you. And God wants you to grow past this and from this. Whatever this is right now. God wants you to grow from it. And he wants you to grow past it. And keep moving and heal and grow stronger. And help pull other people up out of the pit that maybe you've stumbled and fallen into. So not what if you stumble. But when you stumble and fall. You get up. You run to Jesus. And you cling to Jesus. And then guess what? Like it says in your shampoo bottle, repeat. You ever get so bored you read shampoo bottles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when you find yourself in a pit, when you find yourself sinning again and falling to the same old trap, you get up, you run to Jesus, you cling to Jesus, and you repeat it when you do it again because invariably you will do it again. And you may grow past a certain sin. You may grow past a certain temptation. I'm not tempted by all the things that used to tempt me, but there are plenty more things that want to creep up and take its place. And so when you stumble and fall, you get up, you run to Jesus, you cling to Jesus, and then you repeat over and over and over until Jesus comes back or he calls you home. Get up. Run to Jesus, cling to Jesus, and repeat. So we ask the question, what if I stumble? 
I want you to remember as much as anything that the question is not what if I stumble, but what do I do when I stumble? You're not alone. You're not defeated. As long as there's breath in your lungs and Jesus is king and that's till forever. There's a chance and there's hope. So it's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to be free. This world doesn't need to see perfection in us. It needs to see our perfect Savior in us. This world will try to tell you and Satan will try to whisper and he'll say, look at, at, at Robbie Zacharias, this person that people put up on a pedestal and he made mistakes. That means that the gospel is not true. That does not mean that by any stretch. Because if Robbie Zacharias was a perfect person, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. And if you could be a perfect person, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on the cross. We all need our Savior because he alone is the perfect one. And we are broken, imperfect people. But he chose to die for us. I love the story of the prodigal son. And I love when you understand a deeper level. That prodigal was the idea of wasteful and just being crazy with stuff. If you really think about it, the father is the one that's prodigal. The father in the story, because he throws a party for a guy who didn't deserve it. He throws a party for a son who rejected him and said, I wish you were dead. But when he came running, the father went running too.